Let's start with a prayer. Oh, Lord, we are so excited to be here and excited to be embarking on this new study. Please give us insight, touch and prepare our hearts with your Holy Spirit to receive the word that you want us to receive today. Please correct in the hearing and the hearts and the minds of anyone who hears any errors that I and my humanity might make. Lord, I'm I, this is about you, and, and the whole message is about you. And, and, and the details, if I get them wrong, please forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. This lesson, we're going to go back to a little bit more of a read through it together and, and talk about it kind of format. So the first verse says, Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. There's a couple of interesting things here, just in this very first verse. One thing is, it wasn't just a dream. It was dreams. He was having a series of dreams. And the word, if you look up the Hebrew word that says um, troubled, it literally means to tap or beat regularly. God was literally tapping him on the shoulder to get his attention. And so he could not sleep. What was the Lord putting on his mind? Tells us in verse 29. Somebody find verse 29. Or if you just remember, what was was on the king's mind that that the Lord played? Are you talking about 29 of 2? Uh-huh. As for you, O king, while on your bed... Your thoughts have turned what would take place in the future. That's it. What would take place in the future. Now, this is not at all a surprise that this king would be worried about the future because what you may not realize is Nebuchadnezzar was king over a brand new empire. Anybody who has their timeline from last week should get it out. Anybody that doesn't should raise their hand, but you need to like bring it every week. Does anybody need a timeline? All right. If you look here... See, um, we started at the Tower of Babel, and and this is just a summary of the big, huge chart we looked at last week. And, you know, the, the civilizations all split up. And if you follow Chaldea, Chaldea split up into Babylonia and Assyria. And those two kingdoms just continually had a power struggle, okay? And... Just before, Nebuchadnezzar is that yellow star there in the middle. So you can see that just before Nebuchadnezzar came to power, Assyria actually had conquered Babylon. And in fact, in six, I think, let's see, 698 BC, they had actually burned Babylon to the ground. All right. Now this is a, one of the major cities in the world. It's one of the oldest cities in the world. And back in that part, just before Assyria, before Assyria took over, one of their most famous rulers was Hammurabi. I mean, this is a huge dynasty back here. Well, Assyria finally won the battle, and for a while, they were kingpin. Well, in 625 B.C., Nabopolassar came to the throne in Babylon, and he was a Chaldean, and he was Nebuchadnezzar's father. And he started what's called the Neo-Babylonian Empire. So the, the first little blip of Babylonia, that was the old Babylonian Empire. Then Assyria took over, and then the new or Neo-Babylonian Empire started just with Nebuchadnezzar's father. So that was like in 625, 625 B.C. 
So Nabopolassar, when he took the throne, he obviously had a problem with the Assyrians. And he needed to still do something. It's not like they just laid down and let him have it, right? So what, what he did was he joined up with the Medes. All right, and that's that second little spring off that you see coming under Babylon. You see Medea? All right. So what, what Nabopolassar did was he joined up with the Medes and he went out to defeat the Assyrians. Well, the Assyrians had an ally in Egypt, uh, Pharaoh Necho II. And Pharaoh Necho left to come up to help the Assyrians fight against Nebuchadnezzar. But he was delayed because the king of Judah, who was Josiah at the time, got in his way and made him fight him on the way in. Okay, And um, there's some really interesting stories and dialogue in the Bible about that and what went on at that time. But essentially what happened was Pharaoh Necho was too late. He didn't make it to the battle in time. And Nabopolassar... And the Medes are, actually it was Nebuchadnezzar. Nabopolassar sent his son Nebuchadnezzar to do this battle. Nebuchadnezzar and the Medes defeated the Assyrians. Um, and what was, what was really amazing is that all of this was prophesied in the Bible. If you look at, if you can find Habakkuk in your Bible, it's one little tiny book. <laughs> okay. It's, it's only about four chapters, four or five chapters, and you, I think four. And you need to maybe tear off a piece of paper and stick it in there because we're going to come back to it in, in a bit. We're only going to, it's, it's one of the, they call it a minor prophet. Yeah. The way the Bible is set up, is, I'm not, I'm probably telling you what you know, but, but it, it goes, You've got the, the Pentateuch, the first five books. Then you've got the history books, the Chronicles, Kings, Judges, all those. And then you have the major prophets, which Isaiah, Jeremiah, the big fat books. And then you have the minor prophets. Well, they're not minor because their message wasn't important. They're minor simply because they're shorter. Okay, so they're all grouped together in a little bit there. So I, I can never, you know, keep them straight. I got one of those Bibles that has little tabs that <laughs> give you a hint. Yes, it's, it's after Daniel. Did you find Nahum Habakkuk? That's right. And we're going to actually look at Nahum again uh, also in this lesson. So look at verse 5 and 6. Um, Habakkuk was a prophet. And uh, he said, and the Lord told him, look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe if you were told, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. So this is this was like obviously the Assyrians had beat them down. And the Lord says, I, I, the Lord is raising up the Chaldeans. So the Lord had something to do with Nebuchadnezzar uh, coming to power and with Nebuchadnezzar being successful in defeating Assyria. So the Medes and uh, Nebuchadnezzar and actually, you know what, Nebuchadnezzar had to marry one of the Median princesses because it was one of those kind of marriage alliance things. Um, but uh, they utterly destroyed Nineveh, which was the capital city of Assyria, in 612 B.C. Well, at that point, the Babylonian Empire extended from Egypt all the way. If you think of a map, okay, of the, of the Middle East, and you know where the Nile kind of runs down Egypt, it went all the way from there, all the way up through... 
um, the Mediterranean, Palestine, wrapped around the top part of the Mediterranean and all the way over to the Tigris and Euphrates, which is where Babylon is. And so that is kind of a pie-shaped wedge with a little piece, a bite taken out of the end of it, okay? Um, it just, uh, it covered half the Sinai Peninsula. It was huge. So um, uh, what happened was then they claimed that power, but in order to keep that power, what the, mo- the MO for people back, for kings back then, big kings, would be they would then go and they would just take their army and they would travel from large city to large city through a, and they would demand taxes. Now these were, they called them tributes, and these things were not small. These these put people below the poverty line, okay? These were, these, they felt like they were being raped, literally. You know, it was just horrible the amount of tribute that the big king would suck out of these little vassal kingdoms. And if you, if, if, so if Nebuchadnezzar came to your city, Jerusalem, and he said, you know, give me all your money, <laughs> you know, if you didn't do that, He'd either kill the king and all the nobles and whoever he felt like, but especially the king. He'd kill him or he'd take him captive or he would do whatever it took to dethrone him. And then he'd just put somebody else in his place. Who wants to be king, you know? And he would find somebody willing and that's who would be king. This happened. He was, so he was, Nebuchadnezzar was kind of coming all, all down through um, uh, Palestine. And he had actually gotten as far as Judah and he received word that his dad had died. And so he had to drop everything, race back to Babylon to secure his throne. Because remember, this is a brand new empire. His dad was like number one king in the line. Okay, So he had to race back. And so he left his officers in charge of the captives that he had taken so far. And that, it was that deportation that Daniel was in. Okay, So, so Nebuchadnezzar rushes back. To, to, uh, to put his king, kingship together. And um, Pharaoh Necho, you know, meanwhile is trotting his way up, right, trying to get to the battle. And in, in 605 B.C., this was all happening in the same year, the same year that Nabopolassar, Nebuchadnezzar's dad, dies. Necho makes it up to a place called Karshemish which is north of, north of Israel, okay? And, and um, Nebuchadnezzar ha- takes his armies and he meets him on the plains of Karshemish and utterly defeats him, okay? So that's why the empire extended from the Nile all the way uh, over to the Tigris and Euphrates. That battle of Karshemish is one of the most famous, most pivotal, most documented battles in the ancient world, Okay, and because it turned the tide of power, that is what made Nebuchadnezzar a world power. Okay, so uh, C A R Car C H E M like chemistry, ish I S H. So anyway, you know, Nebuchadnezzar does the Battle of Karshemish with Necho. He continues down south to Jerusalem. He takes captives. He finds out his dad dies. He runs back to Babylon. All right. Babylon, obviously, Nebuchadnezzar was successful in establishing his kingship because he went on to become one of the, the most famous um, rulers of Babylonia. And his architectural feats really rival those of the Egyptians. He built a garden, a hanging garden for one of his wives who was homesick 
for her mountain land, you know, for her mountain home. He built a, he like recreated it in Babylon for her. And those hanging gardens were one of the wonders of the ancient world. That's what a big deal they were. And, um, when you, when you, the Babylon itself was like a rectangle. It looks kind of, it's a little squashed. It looks like a box when you sat on it. You know, so, so it's, it, it was a rectangular city with walls. He built walls all around it. He flooded around it with, uh, the Euphrates River made like a moat around this huge, huge city. Um, and, and, uh, uh, he bisected the city. The river Euphrates runs right through the middle of it. And he built his palaces and his temples right along the river, like any, Thought he would, you know, and so on the other side of all those buildings is what's called the processional way. It was Main Street, okay. It was the Royal Street, okay, and it's called the processional way. And I bought you a picture of some of the lions. It was decorated with lions, and I brought you pictures of just it is of, of what they um, what those lions. These are actual. I don't know if these are actual ones or reproductions, but these are what the lions look like. Um, going along the, the, the way. And you'll want, and I'm kind of bringing lion to your mind because you're going to want to remember that when we get to a later chapter in Daniel. But it was just incredible. Not only was Babylon famous for the architecture, but it was also famous for the education. The Chaldeans that we run into were highly educated and respected, and they even had a library of clay Tablets, if you can imagine, that it was a library written in cuneiform of technical works on astrology and astronomy. This was their specialty, okay, was astrology and astronomy. People would come from all over to be educated in Babylon. And that's, this is where Daniel was being educated. So it's now 604 B.C., okay? So in August of 605 was when Nabopolassar, Nebuchadnezzar's dad, died. Okay, so it's just like barely a year, maybe a year and a half later, that this that chapter two takes place. So it makes sense that Nebuchadnezzar is lying on his bed worrying about kingdoms, okay, and about the future and about is my kingdom gonna last? Well God gives him a very clear clear answer. So anyway, Nebuchadnezzar is a pagan king. He worships all kind of idols, Marduk being the, the big one. But he works with all kind of idols. It did not matter to God. I mean, it mattered from a personal point of view. But God could use Nebuchadnezzar even though he was a pagan king. It didn't matter that he had no relationship with God. It didn't matter that he um, worshipped idols. God still could tap him on the shoulder and cause him to take the action that God wanted. Well, what was God's purpose? In tapping him on the shoulder. Well, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know that. You know, what's going on? So we go to verse 2. The king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So we now know that these wise men, the astrologers, the astronomers, we know, now know this is the cream of the crop. This is, this is, the, these, this is the think tank, the, the minds of his of his culture, okay, the top of the line. Magicians, we, what is translated magicians here are horoscopists. They, okay, the, the word means a, somebody who reads a horoscope, essentially reads a horoscope. Conjurers are astrologers, and your Bible actually may um, translate it astrologers. 
Okay. Sorcerers are users of witchcraft. And Chaldeans simply mean the educated is the best anybody can figure. Okay. The, the Chaldeans did all the talking here. So the presumption is they were the leaders. Okay. The presumption is they were maybe like his advisory cabinet. Okay. Um, so they're doing the talking uh, in verse 2 through 11. So they come in and they stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream. And uh, verse 3. Ready? I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. Aramaic was the language of Babylon. It is not the same dialect that Jesus used. Jesus spoke Aramaic. But this is a different dialect. Daniel spoke what? What was Daniel's native language? Hebrew. Yeah, okay. Up to this point in the book, this book is written in Hebrew. At the point of this speech, it's written in Aramaic. The language of the Chaldeans. It's written in Aramaic all the way through the end of chapter 7, and then it switches back to Hebrew. Uh-huh, ancient Hebrew, yes. It changes back where? At the end of chapter 7. Okay. Okay, so from this part, this, this you know, when the Chaldeans start speaking in, in verse 4, through the end where it says, um, spoke to the king in Aramaic, colon, that's where it starts. <laughs> okay, it goes all the way through the end of chapter 7. Now, I don't think anything happens by accident in the Bible. All right, so... We don't have enough information now to know why it might be written in Aramaic, this section. But when we get to the end of the Daniel, we're going to look back and see if we can figure that out. Okay? O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. So the king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. And they answered a second time and said, this is the Chaldeans, a second time, and said, let the king tell the dream to his servants and we will declare the interpretation. And the king replied, I know for certain you are bargaining for time inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. And the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. Inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except God's, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. The king is in a bad mood. <laughs> you think it might be because of lack of sleep? <laughs> he is really upset. Um, it, this, is, this punishment that he said, this is even you know, harsh for those barbaric times. Okay? The, the king is just not taking any crap, right? He, he, he wants, he, and um, it's, some scholars, um, and they're really divided, kind of half and half, think that this whole exchange means the king forgot his dream. I was going to ask that. Did he, did he not remember what it was? I, yeah, that's what I yeah. Do you? And, and half of them 
think, well, I think he remembered his dream, but he realized it was so important he couldn't take a chance on the wise men just making something up. He needed to be sure that the interpretation was correct. This is his kingdom he's talking about. Okay? So you feel free to go either way with this. Okay? It's, it's, people believe both things. So Daniel 12, because of this, you know, because they couldn't tell him the dream, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. It's interesting, don't you think, that Dan, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are, what, somewhere between, you know, say 17 and 21 years of age? This is only the year after chapter 1, okay? So, so whatever age they were when they got there, they're only a, barely a year older now. Um, they are considered among the wise men of Egypt. You know, they've been educated for one year in Chaldean. That's how great they were. And back in chapter 1, if you remember, there's a verse that says when they, got, when they took their oral examination before the king, they were ten hands better than anybody else. All four of them were ten times better than anybody else. Okay? So they're considered wise men of Babylon. Therefore, they are covered by this death sentence. Daniel 14. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. So here's the guy coming to kill him. Okay? He said, whoa, 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 Arioch, hang on. What's going on? For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? And then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just their, those are their Hebrew names here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are their um, Gentile names about the matter. So that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. All right, look at the order of the actions Daniel took. What did he do first? What was the first thing he did? Went to his friends and told them to pray. That's the second thing he did. He went to the king. He went to the king and asked for time. That's right. Second thing, as you pointed out, is he went to his friends to pray for God's help. And the third thing that happened was he had a vision. God gave him the answer. Now, go to the king. Ask for time. Go to the friends. Ask to pray. Get the vision. Would we have done it in that order? No. <laughs> you know, that's faith. This, this story is in here for a reason. Okay? It's not just to be entertaining. It's in here for us to pick out here. This is a model of a man. This is a model of faith that is a measuring line for us. Okay? Do we have that simple, childlike, absolute faith? So, here's another interesting thing. The king dreamed dreams, right? What did Daniel have? A vision. What's the difference between the two? It's more real. Is it more real? What, what's your ideas? One in the day, one in the night. That could absolutely be. Could absolutely be. Well, the vision came from God. The vision came from God. 
It could. It was a night vision. Uh huh. The the difference the difference between a dream and a vision is that with a dream you're asleep. With a vision you're awake. God uses both ways to speak to His prophets. Look at if you want to turn to Numbers, chapter twelve, verse six through eight. Numbers, chapter twelve, verse six through eight. That's way back at the beginning of the Bible. Fourth book. Verses 6 through 8. This is, this, this, um, is the Lord speaking, and, and it's when they're out in the desert. and This is the Israelites. They're out in the desert. Moses is leading them. Moses' brother Aaron and his sister Miriam um, have been complaining about Moses. Okay? So the Lord calls all three of them outside to have a talking to. Okay? And this is the Lord speaking. He said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision, and I shall speak with him in a dream. All right? So here the Lord himself, this is the ultimate authority, telling us this is how he talks to prophets. He gives them dreams and visions. He doesn't distinguish between which is more important or which is better. He gives them both. He bothers their sleep. He bothers their wake. <laughs> he can talk to them at any time. And I actually did go through the Bible and pull out, you know, everywhere it was a vision and everywhere it was a dream to see if I could see any difference or pattern. And there was none. I mean, they were equally important and urgent. And so the, this is just the way he talks to them. He talks to them around the clock. Okay. If you're sure that every vision is when they're awake, not, not when they're sleeping. It, it appears to be huh. in common modern times that what people would say also if I saw a vision you would not assume I was asleep if I had a dream you assume I was asleep okay but I'm not making any rules I'm going to put God in a box but I think that's what those two uh, two words mean are trying to imply okay but then look at number seven not so with my servant Moses he is faithful in all my household with him I speak mouth to mouth even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Moses was the one man who God spoke to physically. Okay. Literally spoke to like this. Um, and, uh, and you see throughout the Bible evidence that Moses was special. Okay. He, was, he was there at the transfiguration of Christ. You know, He's called on in a number of places. But... For the most part, the rest of these guys are just regular old run-of-the-mill prophets and they get dreams and visions. Okay? So, let's go back to Daniel, um, verse 19. The next passage is, this is Daniel's prayer of thanksgiving. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And part of K. Arthur's study, if you, if you did the study this week, was you were to go through and write the characteristics of God that struck you as you read this chapter. And this is just a huge list of them here. Um, Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. And the light dwells in him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. 
So as you as you went through, and this was not obviously the only place God has mentioned, but as you went through your study, did did you pick out anything about the characteristics of God that particularly spoke to you in this chapter? I'm I'm sure not everybody got to study. He is the one that gives everything. Mm-hmm. 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 He, he, you know, the fact that he's the one that sets up kings and deposes them. It doesn't say Christian kings. Doesn't say Jewish kings. It's kings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, Lenore, did you have? He doesn't care if they're Republican or Democrat. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And that's one of the reasons. You know, that makes it easier to understand some of the New Testament teachings that you know of Jesus that you need to be respectful of the government leaders. Okay? No matter how rotten they are, no matter how pagan they are, God put them, allows them to govern. They govern by his grace. And that's the most striking thing to me about the whole the whole series of the fact that he is everything that happens happens in his pattern, mm-hmm. in his control. Mm-hmm. And every you know, like you said, every pagan, every person in his plan fits into his plan. Nothing happens by accident. He, right. You know, and it's um he determines the outcome, period. He's going to work with it no matter what, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a good chapter to read during elections. <laughs> <laughs> a good to read during elections. You know, I've, always, I've always felt that he has a purpose and plan. And sometimes people do not respond to his leadership. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we have the Saddam Hussein's come up in, in, in the mm-hmm. world. But it's not because... God put him there. He would rather have a caring, loving Christian king or sure, whatever. But, but if we don't respond, then things happen because we have free will. We have free will. We definitely have free will. Believing him. And so, therefore, you know, he doesn't, I don't think he, I find it difficult. I haven't been convinced yet that he wills that terrible things happen to us. Well, let's read but forward. But he allows it to happen. Let's read and forward. sometimes he did will it. I mean, mm-hmm, in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Well, I think if he doesn't, he doesn't change. So, no. he, you know, if he wills it in the Old Testament, he could just as easily well, will it in the New God Testament, God right? Now. But, but the, the point here is let's look in the scripture and see the character of God. See what he does. Sonia had a comment. Mm-hmm. I, what stood out to me the most was the wisdom that he gives. Mm-hmm. And... Oftentimes, it's not, it's, we're the ones that make the mistake in putting too much emphasis on the actual deliverer of the message and not so much on God who is using mm-hmm. the vessel. Mm-hmm. And so that's where then we fall. And I, that's why your prayer, you know, was about help me, you know, to make the right, I mean, you know, realizing what was it that you said, that I may. But that's not the message. The the message can can come through no matter what my weakness is. Way back, if if I remember correctly, it was the people who demanded they have kings. It was. It was. So he, he, you know, he was. He was all set. I mean, he, that's right. He, we we he, didn't have to. We didn't need to have kings. We weren't supposed to have kings. In his yeah. core presence and being, but. He gave us free will, and it was the people who demanded kings, and then they start. And then we get into all this yeah. other stuff. That's right. I'm sure that. That's right. You know, That's he knew right. that was going to happen. Absolutely. It's it's the whole thing with prophecy and predestination. You know, if I tell you the sun is going to come up tomorrow, 
did I influence whether the sun comes up or not? No. Okay. I'm just telling you, it's going to come up tomorrow. Okay. Unless the Lord comes. One of those two things is going to happen. Okay. The impact on me is that they never denied God. Right. No. Right. Daniel and his friends never denied God. They not only didn't deny him, they initiated faith in in a situation beyond human. Yeah. They didn't just sit back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's like, man, I'm just going to go to God and get this fixed. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So let's (laughs) see. So let's continue on, all right? Next passage, 24, starting in verse 24. So Daniel went into Arioch. So Daniel now knows what the dream is, right? So Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Will you, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, musicians nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me... This mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man, but solely for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. Let's talk about Arioch and Daniel for a second. What's the difference in approach here? Why would he believe Daniel, huh? Well, that was my, that was what struck me when I thought, man, this guy could get his head chopped off if Daniel doesn't come through. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, I, well, I don't know. Arioch was not a wise man. What does he care? But maybe this was just so such an off the wall punishment. You're you're wiping out your entire cabinet, you know. Plus, maybe the exposure to Daniel in a one on one may have influenced him too. That's right. I mean, why didn't he just kill Daniel outright when he came the first time? Right? Okay. Yeah, he, he also obviously wants to have some um, credit for. Yeah, he kind of boasted about this, didn't he? Look what I found. Yeah, well, right. And Daniel takes no credit. That's right. So this is this is key, and this is one of the things that I want to want us to take just a second and look at because this is important. To God, this is really important to God. Go back to Numbers, chapter twenty. It is extremely important that when God uses you as a vessel, that you make sure the people you're ministering to know that it's God ministering, not you. Numbers chapter twenty, verse eight. This is where right back to Miriam. Uh, no, we're back to the same time period. You know, Egyptians in the desert. They're thirsty. The Lord is talking. 
Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron, assemble, he's speaking to Moses, assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, and let the congregation and their beasts drink. The Lord is fixing to do a great miracle. He's told Moses, go take your rod, tap the rock. Water's going to come out. Okay, speak to the rock. Didn't say tap. Speak to the tap was the other time, but he did this rock thing twice. Okay, speak to the rock, and and it will gush forth water. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly. This is all of Israel before the rock, and he said to them. Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came forth abundantly in the congregation and their beasts drank. But the Lord pulled Moses aside here. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you have not believed me to treat me as me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. He's talking to Moses. This is the guy we just read about that he speaks face to face with, like the most special prophet ever, you know. And because Moses took the credit for himself in the eyes of the Hebrew nation, God did not let him enter the promised land. And he, in fact, died with only being able to look across to the promised land. This is a big deal, all right? Mm -hmm. So here we see Arioch committing this very sin and Daniel not. Daniel has given glory to God in in front of Nebuchadnezzar. So here we are at the dream, verse 31. One of the things that bothered me about this study was like the, the title of the book, this blueprint for the Bible for Bible prophecy. And I was a little, shouldn't it be K author's blueprint? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Verse thirty-one. You, O king, were looking. And he's telling him, telling him the dream. You were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on the feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like shaft from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay, let's look at the, pull your timeline out again. Time to get the timeline. Can I just have it handy? Because we're going to look at the interpretation. Of just, do, do you need a um, timeline? Do you, you have yours? Okay, good. All right, verse uh, 36. This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. 
And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. So, is there any question that the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar? No. No. says so right there. This was also prophesied by Jeremiah. Turn to Jeremiah uh, chapter 27, very first verse. Jeremiah uh, 27. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah 27. Um, God made none of this secret. He told them and told them and told them and told them what was going to happen. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Josiah was that king that I told you got in Pharaoh Necho's way. So this is like near the end. Okay. This word came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Thus says the Lord to me, Make for yourself bonds and yokes and put them on your neck. And send word to the king of Edom, to the king of Moab, to the king of the sons of Ammon, to the king of Tyre, and to the king of Sidon by the messengers who come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. So these are all the kingships surrounding the land of Judah. And, and the Lord is telling Jeremiah to dress up in a costume with yokes and ropes and like he's all bound up. And go to the, messenger, to the court messengers that have come from all those kingdoms to send, give messages to Zedekiah. He says, give them a message to take back to their kingdoms. Okay? You listen to the message that he said to go back. Command them to go to their masters saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Thus you shall say to your masters, I have made the earth, the men, and the beasts which are on the face of the earth by my great power and by my outstretched arms, and I will give it to the one who is pleasing in my sight. Now, I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him also the wild animals of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings will make him their servant. It will be that the nation or kingdom that will not serve him, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and which will not put on its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have destroyed it by his hand. But as for you, do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, or your sorcerers who speak to you saying, you will not serve the king of Babylon. For they prophesy a lie to you in order to remove you far from your land. And I will drive you out and you will perish. But the nation which will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let remain on its land, declares the Lord, and and they will till it and dwell in it. Now here's some interesting stuff here. For one thing, it delineates how long the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar is going to last. Back there in verse 7. It's going to be Nebuchadnezzar, his son, his grandson, end of kingdom. Okay? It's long before that happened. All right? Long before that happened. You know how it happened? That's how it happened. Okay? Um, And furthermore, Jeremiah was accused of treason for sending out messages like this. For one thing, he sent the message from messengers as if he were the king. Right? You know? And he's saying... Don't fight Nebuchadnezzar who is marching down here. He says, just give your lands to him. Agree with, you know, go ahead and become his vassal. So he was accused of treason um, for delivering this. Now, what about the extent? What was the extent of the kingdom that the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar here? Did it have, what boundaries did it have? 
Let's see, where does he talk about that? Verse 6 and at 5 and 6. What are the boundaries? What's under his rule? What did the Lord give to him? The earth. The earth. <laughs> gave to him all the men and all the animals. Everything. All right. Now, we talked about the boundaries of Nebuchadnezzar's empire, didn't we? It was that pie-shaped thing with the bite out the middle. It just kind of Egypt to the Tigris and Euphrates and a little bit of the North Mediterranean. God gave him power over the whole earth. His dominion was over the whole earth. He did not take it. Okay? He only chose to take his peace. He's a man. He's, he didn't, didn't get it. Okay? <laughs> Thinking small. No vision here. <laughs> but, the, but what the Lord gave him was, was dominion over every man, every beast, the entire earth. Okay? Hmm. So keep that in mind as we read through the next couple of verses about the other kingdoms. All right? Their entire earth at the time was, was a limited area. It wasn't like the whole... That's right. What they were aware of. What they were aware of. That's true. But China existed back then. Okay. The, the other, there were king, you know, there were other, other, other peoples in the world at this time. But, Mm-hmm. Right, the, the Chinese. Mm-hmm. There were other peoples, but so all Nebuchadnezzar, like you said, is he he just did what he thought of as the whole earth, but that's not what the Lord gave him. Okay. So, and, and he says, if you want to live, submit to the king of Babylon. That's right. So God's purpose for doing this was to keep them alive. Well, let's look. We're going to look at that. There is actually. A prophet called Habakkuk that we earmarked a second ago. So if you turn back to Habakkuk, it is a dialogue between the prophet Habakkuk and God about how God is, why is God using Nebuchadnezzar? Okay, what is God's intent here? He's drawing a picture. That's right. Um, And we're going to skip around a little bit, but... but, um, God, the, we already read the verses where God tells him back that he's, you know, look with wonder, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. You never would have believed it. I'm raising up this people and they're going to be, if you read all the verses, they're going to, you know, crush everybody is basically what it says. So Habakkuk in verse 12 says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. You, O Rock, have established them to correct. He's absolutely right. This is the prophecy. The Lord is using Nebuchadnezzar to judge and to correct the apostasy in his people, to purify his nation, because they're worshiping idols. All right. If you think about it, a church that is not persecuted gets into all the materialistic stuff, and they set up their programs, and they, you know, do all these. They get totally self-absorbed. Can get totally. I'm not all, but can get totally self-absorbed. You bring war, pestilence, disease, destruction, depression, whatever it is, and the, the people who are just in there for the social food disappear. Okay? And the people whose faith is in God become very close-knit. All right? So God is purifying them as in fire. There's a lot of imagery like that in these prophecies. Okay? So, do you have a comment? I've, I'm, I've been reading this book. I just read this small book about this man who received the Nobel Peace Prize in 86 who is talking about his time in the concentration camps as a young man. 
and how they had warnings, you know, that this was happening, and they actually went through it. So many of them lost their faith. And this is just explaining or kind of clarifying in my mind how it, the nation became so much much stronger after that persecution. That's right. Uh, it drives you to the Lord. And it burns away the shaft. The that, that's left, he can work with. Mm-hmm. I mean, he can, you know, throughout the Bible, he was always working with remnants. I mean, even mm-hmm. he waited for all the people right. to die off and, mm-hmm. before he let them go into mm-hmm. the promised land. Noah, we read about all Noah, in the first in the first yeah. lesson we talked about. He's always worked with but don't him. you find it remarkable that a nation that has no place to live is still a nation? Amazing. You know, it's because the Lord kept them and purified them and concentrated them and, and, and just did whatever it took, painful or not, you know, to keep them. They shouldn't exist. You know, they shouldn't exist. I mean, That's right. So, so then Habakkuk says, okay, I, I get that part, all right? And he says, but Lord, look at Nebuchadnezzar. He's a pagan. He's nasty, you know. How can you use somebody like that? All right, verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. We're still in Habakkuk. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? How can you do this, Lord? And God answers Habakkuk in chapter 2. And all of chapter 2 is his answer. And tells him, you're right, Habakkuk. But they're going to accomplish my purpose first, and then they will be judged for raising their hand against the children of Israel. Okay? Chapter 2, and I'm going to skip around between verse 2 and 8, you know, kind of around in there. Then the Lord answered me and said, verse 4, Behold, as for the proud one, this is Nebuchadnezzar, his soul is not right within him. He, verse 5, he also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Verse 8. Because you have looted many nations, all the remainder of the peoples will loot you. Okay. So God says he's going to get his. All right? But right now, I've appointed him to be my instrument to preserve my people. Okay. So Nebuchadnezzar's own dream actually confirms this. Look at the next part of the dream. Chapter th- um, verse 39 in Daniel. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we may, and, and we actually may stop here. It's um, time to stop. Um, and because this is where he, he begins to talk about the kingdoms that will arise after Nebuchadnezzar. So why don't we pick up there next week at chapter 39, I mean verse 39, and we'll continue through chapter 3. So go ahead in your K. Arthur study and, and do chapter 3. Okay?